Betty Davis Eyes, by the way, was the number one song on two non-contiguous months. She pulled in <laughs> fucking uh, Grover Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, 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 and welcome everyone to another episode of 1001 Album Complaints. This is the podcast where lifelong friends, musicians, and general complainers get together to talk about albums from Robert Dimery's list of 1001 albums you must hear before you die. My name is Tom. I will be guiding you on this journey today through the album. I have been playing music since I was a wee lad and have been complaining about basically everything since I could form sentences. I am very excited this week to cover the album that was released on my date of birth in 1981. It is the album by Susie and the Banshees called Juju. Very shortly, we will get into our general format here where we do deep dives, we talk about specific tracks, we give you a history of the album, and we vote and tell you whether or not you really do need to hear this album before you die. But before we do all that, let's give you a taste of what we have been listening to this week. I am going to start it off with the opening track on the 1981, June 19th, Juneteenth, that's right, 1981 album, Juju by Susie and the Banshees. This is the opening track, Spellbound. From the cradle bars comes a beckoning voice that sends spinning. You have no choice. perfect album to have come out on your birthday just this the the sinisterness and all that that really tracks for me what are you trying to say i'm, I'm a basket of sunshine yeah, well you know we'll, we'll let uh we'll let our fans out there be the judge <laughs> so i'm gonna throw it around the room and by way of introductions we will be giving our tweet length reviews i am gonna throw it first over to alan alan give me your tweet length review this album was a bit of a, a mystery for me, which we'll get into momentarily, but I think there, there's a lot of good stuff going on here. So you got shades of, of early heart, you have a touch of synchronicity era police, and some foreshadowing to bands like Tool and Smashing Pumpkins. But there's just enough Yoko Ono going on for me to fully embrace this. Ooh, okay. The curse of the Yoko. Let's throw it over to Phil. Phil, give me your tweet length review. Hey, what's up, everybody? Phil uh, here this week. Happy to be here with you guys. Uh, yeah, my tweet length review on uh, Susie and the Banshees Juju is uh, Juju. Great album title. All right. <laughs> the snark is coming through loud and clear. I love it. And again, this is Tom. My tweet length review is if you ever wanted to know who was to blame for the Smiths, look no further. <laughs> 
Damn. So, so Morrissey's no longer patient zero for, for this? I got to tell you, listen, I, I'm more talking about the Johnny Marr guitar style of this. As much as I disliked Susie Sue's voice, I will uh, take her voice over Morrissey's any day of the week. I'll, I'll second that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, Alan already hit some of the touchdowns. I mean, definitely general impressions are, you know, this is clearly coming out of the sort of UK punk scene it, punk very meaning something very different than maybe the punk you and i grew up with right but like yeah there's shades of everything from you know, new order to the smiths to the police I, I hear shades of blondie there are so many components of things i i love here that it made this week pretty interesting right because there are definitely some elements that i don't know man it feels like the favorite song on synchronicity 2 is mother you know, and like, poof, that's just not a song, right? Yeah, I can agree with the, the, the shades of mother on some of these songs, which is in no way a compliment. Which, by the way, if you haven't heard that song, go back and listen to it and then hate us later. <laughs> there actually, there might be clips of us slamming it because I'm pretty sure it was on the focus list for synchronicity. Too. Oh yeah, it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it even made our worst of. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we true. did our uh, 50th episode. Yeah, yeah. And I love synchronicity too. But anyway, I was a little bit confounded by this album. I thought it was super in terms of general reactions. Like on a, on a tactical level, it was super top heavy in that it was very front loaded with all the good shit up front, which kind of drives me crazy. Cause it seems, you know, it's almost like, are you, you, do you not trust your material enough that you think someone will make it to the back half that you have to put like everything up front. But in general, I think it's clear that they knew exactly what they were trying to do. They set out to make a very specific type of music. And I do think they accomplished that. But at the end of the day, like it didn't quite grab me as, as much as, you know, I was hoping it would. They they know what they're trying to do, and I think they they do that thing reasonably. Well. High praise. You do the thing you were trying to do reasonably well. Therefore, I should dedicate <laughs> precious time out of my life to listening to it. Oh, I didn't say that. I didn't say. You okay, yeah, I guess votes well, come at the well, end. You know, yes. you know what that reminds me of. It's like the word. If I said like, Alan, you're competent at your job. That sounds like a diss. But like, is it? <laughs> no, I I think what what I'm getting at is they're intentionally trying to create this mood of mm -hmm. music, this sort of like brooding, sort of sensual, mystical kind of thing. And I don't love it. I, I like parts of it, but they're not wishy-washy in, in the kind of music they're trying to make. Like they're very deliberate about trying to do this specific thing, which I think does differ from some of their other music as well, but it's lukewarm praise. How about that? Well, I mean, I'm feeling the love here. I got to tell you, I am not a particular fan of Susie Sue's voice. It grew on me, certainly, but I find it to be the least compelling part of this band, kind of by a long shot. You know, she seems like a singer who doesn't know the rules. You can tell she's very self-taught. She certainly didn't go to like the Royal Academy of Music or anything like that. And there are times where it works to great effect, but I think that there are times where precision is called for, and I'm not getting a lot of precision out of her on these takes. It's a lot of bravado. It's a lot of attitude and is not a lot of really technical singing. Now it doesn't always, you don't always have to have technical singing, but I like technical singing and I didn't feel like it held up well, against the other. It's an interesting, I wouldn't have put it that way, but I think it's an interesting insight, like the technical singing, right? I, t I sort of agree with you. I think it's a cool effect 
that she has, right? And I think, you know, I think we've all... Or maybe affectation. Affectation, right? But, it, like, it wears on you after a while. The fact yeah. that she can't turn it off wears on you. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the of the British punk style singing in general. Like, I, I groused a little bit about it when we did the specials. I don't love Joe Strummer's voice in The Clash. Just the... Uh, uh, it, it sounds a little bit lazy yeah, and, like, halting. Is that Sex Pistols and, thing? I don't know anything about the Sex Pistols, but, like, I wonder, like, what is that downstream from? I mean, there is a direct line to the Sex Pistols with Susie and the Banshees. I think wasn't Sid Vicious like in the in- initial like incarnation of this band or we, something we'll like that? We'll get there. We'll get there. All right. Wow. Um, that was that was a real that was a real shot in the dark. Just a, <laughs> just a, was it though? <laughs> so, one of the things that I disliked about this album, not as much as I have disliked previous albums that have the same problem, but it seems to take itself super seriously. Like I and I know that yes, musicians are generally speaking they have large egos. So of course they take themselves seriously, but I kind of get really annoyed by people who seem like they're just like, we're doing the coolest, most cutting edge stuff in the world. And I got a ton of that from these guys mm-hmm. that they just think that they're doing the most cutting edge, cool stuff in the world. And, you know, I've seen this described as like goth rock or, or one Dude. of the goth rock anthems. Keep going, yeah. keep going. And retrospectively, Susie Sue disowns that moniker of like oh we're not you know goth rock is so much more i don't think she uses the word lame but that it's like pantomime like it, it's sort of weak but like that's what you're doing I'm, yeah I, like, I, that's what you're doing here. i'm not kidding i listened to this record like dozing off in bed like a, a few nights right like this is sort of my process for this is i listen to the record at work i listen to it in the car and i'll often listen to the record as i go to bed which means i'll fall asleep and you still have nightmares no to no this day. as i listen to this record laying in bed my mind was just filled with the the sort of like lead witch from the craft remember that movie the craft <laughs> so yes. I, there was like, i remember of it i don't yeah, think i ever saw yeah, it yeah there were like two good girls and one bad girl and this was definitely like the bad girl yeah. That's funny. It's funny that you mentioned that. One of the notes I had was if I fell asleep to this, I would have some strange nightmares. Not like scary, but like on the scary side like of the craft. Humorous. Like the craft. Kind of like the craft. <laughs> yeah, kind of like the craft. And my last note that I'm going to make on this is that, and I've complained about this a whole bunch, and I'm going to continue to complain about it because it's a fucking problem. This album is mixed terribly. 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 It's a terribly mixed album. And. It's just a, it's really inconsistent. I, yeah, I'm glad you said that. What are your thoughts on it, Tom? Because I have some strong opinions on this. I'd like to hear what yours are first. Though. <laughs> I think that it is the product of two things. Number one, it is the product of a bunch of people who took a live show and being cool on the scene first approach to being in a band. Like their whole thing was like, we'll figure out the music part but we're going to put on a good live show. And that could work. That certainly that totally can work. works great. But it's not professional. You're not a professional musician doing that. You're making money as a musician, but you're not like a technically proficient musician when you are focused on that. And second, I think that it is a product of analog tape and the old analog boards where you had to manually interact with the sliders during the mixing process 
and slide them up for certain parts and slide them down. And I think they were really imprecise in it. And I think the quick turnaround time on a lot of this stuff had a lot to do with that too. It definitely sounds like, so in a positive way, I think the overall recording quality has like a high end DIY vibe, right? Like in a, in a sort of sound aesthetic sort of, you know, higher than high end DIY, but like Nirvana's bleach is like, high-end DIY, yeah, right? Like, this is definitely slathered with that early 80s chorus, like the Roland Jazz 120 or the Boss CE2 or whatever it is, the big brown one that's all over the Chili Peppers records. But, like, the thing that drove me nuts about the mix was, like, the drums not so much, but on a couple of songs are all, like, reverbed and flanged out to the point of, like, why are we doing this, right? Like, there's a couple times where a cool echoey snare drum comes through or something, but it's the vocals. You've already got a really quirky voice that um, I have to come around to, and then you're, like, slathering them in this, like, echo chorus that makes them hard to hear sometimes, almost. Yeah, I'd say muddled. Muddled, a, yeah. I, I muddled. And then there's the, there's the chorus. There's that police chorus sound, which I think is hip. It's just very aggressively used. Like, literally always on. Yeah, well, punks are not known for their subtlety, so... <laughs> Well, we are going to dive into a little bit of the background, but first we are going to do what has become my favorite part of any of these podcasts. We are going to do Susie and the Banshees by the numbers. I'm curious for this one. There's no way this sold a ton. So the first number I'm going to throw out there is 60,000, which is the number of certified album sales that I was able to come up with. 60,000 certified albums sold. Is that to date? Uh, yes, I believe that is to date, and that is... How do you live off that? <laughs> that doesn't seem like a lot. I think they toured a lot. Yeah, okay. They, they, they played a lot of shows. They toured a lot. Um, it's not, But this is also, it's not their debut album or anything like that, so it's not a lot of albums sold. But yeah, is this like number four, number five, something like that? Yeah, I, I, I have the, it in here, but it's, yeah, it's like four or five. And then we're going to do number two, which is... The number of times the band broke up within their first three years of being a group. Nice. <laughs> broke up two times within the first three years of being a group. The next one is the number one, which is the number of people in the band that knew how to play their instruments at their first gig. <laughs> one guy knew how to play his instrument. The, the bass player. player. I'm going to go with <laughs> The bass player knew how to play his instrument. At the gig? At the first gig that they played. One person in the band knew how to play their Always instrument. Always the most reliable musician. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and Susie was a singer, but I'm throwing it out there that she didn't actually know how to sing. So You don't really have to in punk. And I don't mean that as a Disney. I heard a fun new bass player joke. Have you guys ever heard this joke? I've never heard this joke before. It's a bass player joke. So it goes like this. So uh, a kid's like, hey, dad, I want to play bass. So he's like, cool. He buys his son a bass. And he's like, I need some bass lessons. So he's like, cool. So he takes him to the bass lesson. And uh, he's like, what did, what, did the, uh, what did the teacher teach you? And he's like, he taught me all the notes on the lowest string. And he's like, cool. All right, cool. So he goes back for the second week. And at the lesson, he's like, what did the teacher teach you this week? And he's like, all the notes on the second lowest string. So the third week comes around and dad's like, hey, you ready for your, your bass lesson? And the kid's like, no, dad, I got a gig. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard this before? I, I have not, not heard, heard that before. That's a good joke. I haven't heard that, but that tracks. I've heard variations of like, there's no bassist who ever made money playing above the fifth fret and, yeah. and things. Uh, of and that that's nature. basically the <laughs> same joke. Yeah. Uh, that's good. 
And then we're going to wrap up the by the numbers with the number at least one, which is the number of times that Susie Sue caught hepatitis on tour from quote unquote punk spit. <laughs> Whoa. Jesus yeah. Christ. I guess it was a thing that the punks were just spitting all the time and hepatitis? she caught hepatitis from it. Which letter of hepatitis? I, I don't know, man. Because that's, that's important. It is pretty important. I'm going to guess it was A because back in the day, like before they had some medicine for it, the hep C would have been pretty, 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 pretty advanced. Yeah. yeah. Hep A is pretty easy to pick up once. Once somebody spits in your mouth. Yeah, once somebody yeah. spits in your mouth. Yeah, well, yeah. I thought I saw some... Uh, or you're uh, walking around the streets of London barefoot, you know, yeah, yeah. very punky it, it happens. Once somebody spits in your mouth. Well, I thought I saw a quote. Yeah, I, I thought I saw something that said, like, part of when they started this band, they felt like you could be in the crowd, but also be in the band. And so was was there, like, a situation of them just letting tons of punks on the stage, like... Did she actually just get spat on from the first row? Because that's some serious like projectile. I, you know what? I don't have a good answer to that. And I don't think that there's any answer to I caught hepatitis <laughs> from punk spit that I'd be like, well, that, that tracks. That makes sense. Yeah. Yes. We, we need a deep dive. She could also be lying. I mean, she could be. <laughs> it's a hell of a thing to lie about. Yeah, it's a weird thing to lie about. You just lie about having hepatitis and say you caught mono or something. Right? It's, it's also it's a strong street cred, Good I point. Guess. Yeah. All right, so we are going to dive in and do a little bit of the background of Susie and the Banshees leading up to the release of this album, Juju. So they formed in September 1976 because they had a gig that Dope. was playing with the Clash and the Sex Pistols. Fuck. So, like, they already have a huge gig for their first gig. I mean, this is pre, like, the Clash and the Sex Pistols being the Clash and the Sex Pistols, but still, it was a a pretty big gig. And I'm going to shock you here. The reason they got the gig is because Susie Sue was a super hip scenester girl. I know, everybody's no. blown away here. No way that you could ever have guessed that Susie Sue would be a super hip scenester. And I'm also going to shock you on one other thing, is that uh, apparently at the time, and it will genuinely, I hope, shock you, apparently at the time, her trademark was that she would have star eye makeup on and wear a swastika armband. But they're not trying to be... No, no, no. <laughs> not trying to be edgy at all. No, no, no. She said she did it because she wanted a reaction not because she supported the national socialist movement but like it kind of doesn't matter why you wear a swastika you're wearing a fucking swastika yeah there's getting a reaction and then there's like getting people to want to kick the shit out of you yeah right so alan you had uh name checked earlier the lineup in that first band that played that first show featured sid vicious on drums an instrument that he did not know how to play. Well, to be fair, he never knew how to play. <laughs> he didn't know how to play the either. bass either, which is, <laughs> as a bass player, I can freely admit, the easy one. That's the easy one to learn. He's like, no, I'll do drums. Drums is the hard one. Sounds like he didn't know how to overdose on heroin either. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're still on the learning curve here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, right away, I've been in bands for my entire life, and... Getting gigs was not like, a, hey, I here's a great gig that I'm going to give to you. Why don't you 
form a band to play it. It was like you form a band and practice for a long time, and then you beg, borrow, and steal to get a fucking gig. Accurate. Well, to be fair, the first gig I ever got on bass was from a mutual friend of ours who said he had a band and they were just missing a bass player. And it was literally like five days and he taught me how to play some of the songs on bass, but we were not playing with the clash in the sex. Festivals. Sure. Yeah. It's cause I turned down the gig. Alan's why you got that. Hey, well, thank you. I appreciate that. No, I actually don't think it was because I think they did not want me on bass for that gig. Well, they said, uh, only picks allowed, <laughs> please. You didn't learn how to play with a pick until like six months ago. Come on. <laughs> So I'm going to shock you guys here. The band broke up immediately after that first After gig. the gig? After the gig. Oh, they played man. one gig with The Clash and the Sex Pistols, and then they broke up. What happens next? Apparently, they reformed a few months later, and they start playing around. They, they're playing on the scene. They're playing at the cool underground clubs. They're getting a lot of street cred. And at the time, this is sort of during like the punk explosion, and all of the other bands, The Clash, the Sex Pistols, these guys are all getting record deals. Susie and the Banshees are not getting a record deal. And there's talk about like, oh, it was misogynism. Like they didn't want to, they didn't think a female could be punk. I don't exactly know the reason. It could have been the fact that like they still didn't really know how to play their instruments all that well. But, or their drummer was dead. Well, <laughs> no, he left the band immediately. When they reformed, they did not have Sid Vicious. As well, okay. Yeah, yeah. They reformed with different people. He decided to focus all of his efforts on mastering Death. the bass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Death. So basically, they reform. They're playing a bunch of gigs, can't get a record label. And in what I have to give them is a genius guerrilla marketing campaign that they claim was not them. They claim it was just a fan. But apparently a fan went around to the London offices of all of the major record labels and spray painted on their front doors, sign the Banshees, do it now. Cool. Yeah, right? <laughs> and they were like, well, I guess we should check these guys out. Like, Maybe they deserve the a record Banshees deal. Could he, he probably couldn't spell Susie yeah, right? <laughs> in that configuration. Jesus Christ, yeah. Which is, <laughs> you know, I know that she's trying to, I guess, evoke the Sioux Nation in the Susie Sioux. Did you learn anything about whether I imagine she's not actually of the Sioux Nation? I mean, she's British. So I'm going to guess that'd be a pretty pretty big stretch <laughs> to say that she was from the Sioux Nation. Nobody's burying her heart. Yeah, she's from the or Kiss anything, Nation. But. I feel like she is fucking <laughs> she is fucking Citizen Zero of the Kiss Nation, though. She looks just like she should be in Kiss. Yeah, you know what? I actually, I, I get that. That's not bad. So they get signed to this record label Polydor in June of 1978. And I just want to comment on how, like, we talked about The Clash and The Sex Pistols pre-blowing up like 1976. They were at a point where a band that had never played a show before could get a gig with them at that point. And then by 1978, when they get signed to Polydor, they're all like, punk's dead, punk's over. Like, punk is played out. Like, that's how fast this scene was moving in London that two years later, like, punk is totally played out and, like, we have to evolve our sound past punk. The cool people in the scene are like, punk is played out, punk is commercial, punk is bullshit now. So this is a big part of the reason why they are considered, like, the first post-punk band because, like, punk happened and then two years later it was post-punk. <laughs> like, <laughs> Everybody got tired of it in two years and like fucking, yeah, I, I second that. I'll sign on to that one. I got tired. Is Marcy post-punk? 
the, sh- the Smiths? I don't know. He's, I think, post-pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Post-good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to all of our UK fans that are going to write in with its Morrissey about sucks. It. I don't Morrissey care. sucks. I'll I, don't like, yeah, I, don't like, I don't like Morrissey. Their, their song, Hong Kong Garden, is considered one of the first post-punk releases, which is like a song about skinheads and Chinese takeout place. And But there's like all kinds of really super racist imagery in it. And they were sort of like, oh, we were just sort of trying to show what these skinheads were thinking about. But you used to wear swastikas on your arms. So like nobody's giving you the benefit of the doubt that you weren't actually just being super racist in this song. Yeah, I either like deeply misunderstand something about like late 70s Britain or yeah, the times have changed. And these these were just, it's, it's just an attention grab. Right. So, all right, getting back to Susie and the Banshees and their um, their timeline. So they released their debut album in November 1978. So they got signed in June 1978. They released an album in November 1978. So that's a pretty quick turnaround. They they did not include that album, Hong Kong Garden, on it, by the way, because they'd released it as a single. And people were like, oh, you sound pretty racist. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? I can see it. So, But yeah. we'll give you another chance. Yeah. <laughs> So they put together that album. They then go release their next album. So we're on album number two. And they are on tour September 7th of 1979. So they got signed in June 1978. September 7th, 1979. They are on their tour for their second album. They're on the third day of the tour for their second album. And uh, the guitar player and the drummer, after a gig, get into a cab and fucking never come back and quit the band without saying anything. (laughs) And are basically like, fuck this shit, I'm done. And give no notice and just don't show up at the gig the next day. And How many days into the tour was this? You said two? Third show. Third show. Third show. (laughs) And so apparently Susie Sue gets on stage and says... Something to the effect of like these two art school pussies just fucked off, and like if you see him <laughs> kick the shit out of them. <laughs> and uh, they were playing with an early iteration of The Cure, and so The Cure backed them up for. I didn't cover this in the original talking about their original show, but the original set that they played was a twenty-minute. Art Nouveau interpretation of the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> and so that's what they did with the members of The Cure when their other band members didn't show up. So, all right, so they have officially broken up now for the second time. You know, within a year of signing a record deal, they've broken up again. Well, at least they mastered the dysfunction that you need to survive so in, the, 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 in the rock but and roll. But it was the guitar player and the drummer that quit? The guitar player and the drummer quit. Uh, the Bass drum- player and Susie Sue stuck around. The drummer is pretty good. No, this is a different drummer. Oh. This is this their okay, sorry. second drummer oh, okay. in the timeline here, but yeah, it's not the drummer that appears on this album oh, because okay. you smash cut to two weeks later <laughs> and Peter Clark, also known as Budgie, who is the drummer on Juju, joins the band. And I got to give him a lot of credit. They talk about the gothic sound and I think his like not, you know, rock beat one drumming yeah, style. Totally. It informs so much of their sound. In a, I, I, a really I, th- cool I think he's the high the high point of the record for well, sure. Well, I agree that. Well, not only that, but I think the guitar work is like the two yeah, things yeah. I noted. Yes, were the guitar and the drums, and yeah, it's funny cool. that those seem to be the ones that were like cycled out <laughs> like the most over time. Well, I mean, I, mean, I, I mean zero. As I mean, if I'm, player, if, I mean, if, I'm a, if I'm understanding Tom correctly, though, right? The level of 
artists that would have been available to them after these guys bailed on tour would have been very different than like the art school dropouts that would have been available to them like post the clash sex pistols they were like they were a going concern when they were like hey we have tour dates booked and we have a record contract and we have albums do you want to join our band because it only took two weeks to get peter clark budgie to join the band on drums and then well if budgie checks us out i think Good takes, buddy. Yeah. Good work. Yeah, no. Budgie's great. I I think his stuff is really good. And then they need a guitar player for the rest of this tour. And actually, Robert Smith from The Cure joins them as a guitar player and like finishes out the tour with them. Clearly, The the Cure is a much... They're actually a junior band to Susie and the Banshees at the time. They haven't blown up. But... He's very committed to being in The Cure. He wasn't a long-term solution, so he just sort of like, I'll help finish the tour out for you. They finish the tour, and that is when they get John McGock. That's like half a syllable from like a Bart Simpson joke. (laughs) (laughs) So he joins the band. He's actually in this band magazine, which is considered another sort of rival post-punk band at the time. And he just quits magazine and joins Susie and the Banshees. And that is kind of a dick move on both parts him to just ditch his other band and join this other band and from them to be like let's just poach the guitar player from this band that's like our contemporaries did he tell his old band that he was taking a cab ride and he would would be there real quick and then just (laughs) yep i feel like the guitar work really i don't i don't want to say makes the album because i don't know that it's made in air quotes (laughs) but i mean it's monster guitar playing and in in not like a virtuoso sense but like I love guitar players who are who are like stylists, and I would put guys like Jerry Garcia in this category where he has virtuo he has like virtuoso skills, but like they create a sound that is very them. specific, very them. And I think I think he kind of carries this record. I think this guitar is really hip. I, it definitely goes really heavy on a chorus sound that is like. It definitely dates the music, not in a good way or a bad way. I, I just think like literally, you know, there's this period of time where there were only two ways to get that sound, the Roland jazz chorus amp or that boss, like big brown box. And people loved it and they put it all over records and it sounds really cool. I, I do agree that the, the guitar is really hip. And I think he, for lack of a dare, and I, I think the interplay with the drums is is really interesting too. They like, he just like sort of lets it breathe in a way that like is very un-guitar. Like guitar players, I, and I play guitar, and I talk a lot, and I play a lot of notes when I play guitar, <laughs> and that's consistent. But like when guitar players sort of just like don't play so much, it can be pretty awesome too. <laughs> well, there's just so few of them that do. Yeah, I agree. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, like, it's like, you it's know, a gift. When you it's hear a special it. gift. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't there a device called like a the gizmo? Did you yes. like look into this at all? Yes. Like that made the sort of like a violin type sound, or maybe you know, it's more about like it a whack version of an ebo, basically. Yeah, okay, but it sits like it's a device that you sit on the bridge, and it has you can fire it off all at once, or you can key it. You can like press keys, and it fires off on certain strings. And it's like a little wheel that kind of like vibrates Weird. on the string as you push down so it's this like physical, button. Though. It's a physical thing, yes. Weird. Called the gizmo. I, I watched some YouTube videos of the, I guess the modern version of it, which is called like the gizmotronic or something like that. So for for the the people at home who might not know what a, an ebo or a gizmo is, instead of pick thing. Uh, so an ebo is like. A, 
I don't know. I won't even pretend to 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 act like you might have heard an Ebo or like it's been used popularly or something. Wasn't it used on um estranged yeah. Guns N' Roses song? Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, so that's a good, that's a good reference though. Ebo sounds like controlled feedback. It sounds like a guitar feeding back, and it just sounds like you can play the pitches because it uses an electromagnetic pulse to vibrate the string at a super right like it, it like it mimics a violin it's bow. A, yeah it's a pickless it's electronic bow it's yeah, a yeah, it's bow. A, yeah yeah and it's a pickless it's a pickless string strike essentially whereas yeah. what you're talking about is a high velocity string strike to the point where you can't even it's like a mechanical mechanical thing too. It's machine, like a mechanical yeah. thing string it's strike rubbing it just yes, so yeah absolutely yeah. it is like rubbing against the string which is weird and it was name checked on this album as being used on actually one of the songs on our focus list. And I got to tell you, I tried to find it and I couldn't figure out where the fuck they were talking about it being there. I think this might be about time. Let's let's dive into the focus list and we can start talking about specific tracks on this album. So we are going to dive first into, again, the first song on the album. We touched on it briefly earlier. I can smoke in here, right? Oh, yeah, dude. Blaze away. Blaze away. <laughs> For those of you who are not aware, which is everybody at this point, except for maybe Rob, who's going to edit this episode, that Alan and Phil and I are actually sitting in a hotel room right now in Wilmington, Delaware. We're going to trash this shit out of this We're recording room. this live, and I am the person whose credit card is down on this hotel room, so we're not going to trash it. We're not going to break into the mini bar. okay? I got a sink full of we, beers on We can't on go past that there. $500 credit limit. Yeah. You know, we, we gotta, we gotta. <laughs> we're not going to break into the mini bar. Listen. I have a sink full of beers. <laughs> let's dive back into the song spellbound we'll play a little bit more of that and give you some of our uh some of our in-depth impressions on it so here we go another part of spellbound spellbound like this was one of the songs where among several where they knew what they wanted the song to be called but didn't know what the melody should be and so they just said the word over and over again because i feel like they say it over and over again although i do think this is is a halfway decent song it's not bad it's not bad but i feel like you could just insert a clip of alan saying i don't think they knew what the melody was supposed to be for almost all of these songs like she's got a very free mind when it comes to the melodic interplay. But but to that end, I agree with that. But I think when you listen to this song, I mean, we basically spent the last like whatever, you know, half an hour, 40 minutes, just like trashing them. Like she can sing, like she sounds pretty good. Like her natural sense, her sensibility is very strong. Like she, and, and Alan, great call on the shades of heart. Like there's definitely a heart thing and you catch it here too with a super strum 12 string. That's like, it's, it's like mixed into the drum set. You can tell it's a, a, like an acoustic guitar, but it's plugged in like a rhythm section instruments and it's, it's very hip. There's a hard edge to it. I think she's a, again, I'll kind of go back to the comment I made about like the, being a stylist on guitar. Like, I think she's a vocal stylist. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think she's someone that you're going to ask to sing a Broadway musical or something like that. But I, I do think her voice is very 
arresting. Like it, I agree. I didn't watch. I, apparently, her live show. She she has a lot of uh, stage presence, which I didn't really get into. But I th- I think her voice definitely has some some gravitas, whether she's quote unquote good or not. Well, I would say that they absolutely would have had to have had a great live show because. Is the female version of bravado bravada? She has that. Whatever that is, if she was a dude, I'd say she's trying to be like the big swinging dick in the room. She has power behind that voice, and she can definitely belt. Yeah, that's what I was saying about like she can sing. Like she is blasting. Like, oh yeah, all, uh, wide open. You know, I always. think that if she had gone to like the Royal Academy of Music and actually studied, I think she could have been a Broadway performer. I think she could have been an opera singer. She's got the raw talent there. Yeah, she can move a lot of air and it sounds good and she's like in tune. But she doesn't have the control that I would like to hear in a singer. I value precision and control. Well, when I read this quote about what her dad did for a living, it made perfect sense about how she sang, which was her father was a bacteriologist who milked venom from snakes. Oh, wow. (laughs) I thought you were going to say he tied cats up in a bag and beat them against the post (laughs) or something like that. He may have done that, too. No, I'm being very uncharitable to her voice, which did absolutely grow on me over the course of the week the last episode that we did where we introduced this i had basically said like oh no i don't like this album i actually was (laughs) thinking of a different album but the reason i was saying i didn't like it was her voice because i had heard it once and i was like yeah no not for me and on repeat listen it definitely i i get more of what she was going for well, am I mistaken that she did a? I didn't go like too far into the history of the band, but when I saw the name come up, I feel like did she do something in the '90s that was kind of not like super popular? Did she have like an MTV song in like the early '90s? So she did start another band with Budgie, who she married shortly after this album came out with, and I'm trying to think of like what was the name of that band. Give me a second, I gotta consult my notes here. Oh, the Creatures was another band that she started. And so she played on like Lollapalooza and stuff like that. She was always kind of on the scene. In my mind, she had some 90s, early 90s, like song that made me lump her in with like garbage and... And trash and <laughs> refuse and like no, I'm just, I'm being uncharitable again. Yes, Phil, I agree with you on the the twelve string acoustic, like being used for like a super strummy and not a super picky thing. Yeah, it's, it's like it's almost like a bongo or something like a, like a it's pitched cool, bongo cool. or something. Yeah. And this is like Johnny Marr heard this and was like, I'm going to base my entire sound off this. This is fucking amazing, and uh, you know. It's the best part of the album, I think, by far. I like the drumming a lot, but the guitar work is what makes this actually stand out. Apparently, they were going for almost like a campy, early 60s, 50s horror movie vibe for this. And I think they actually kind of nail it. Yeah, that that actually sort of makes like I I didn't know that, and as you said it, I sort of like I, I immediately kind of get that. Yeah, as right? almost like the soundtrack to like a late fifties, early sixties, like yeah. Twilight Zone, 
Oh, what's the other one? The one that's like set in Texas, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, okay. Like yeah, the original yeah. one that's like bad, now, black this and white. Is, yeah, this is like, I think that was the 70s. This is more like Vincent Price era, like um, creepy, hard, shitty Dracula versions mm-hmm. type of movies yeah, and stuff yeah, okay, like that. Okay. They were named after, I think, a Vincent Price movie called like The Call of the Banshees or The Cry of the Banshee or something like that. But yeah, like they got a vibe. They definitely, they're, they're they have a, vibe a strong band. vibe. Yeah. yeah. I talked before about how she's like a singer who doesn't know the rules. I'll time check a drop here, which is at 152, she like harmonizes herself. And then she does it kind of only for a second. And then she goes back to unison and it kind of pops back up to harmony every once in a while. And I feel like a more proficient singer would have been able to do something more interesting with it. But she kind of doesn't know the rules. And so it's sort of that is one of the examples of where you can tell that she's not a super controlled, precise singer. So let's just drop that in right now. When you make your toys, I thought the circuit's an illusion. You cannot shake your hair like them. Cracking through the walls and then spinning. You have no choice. Like, it doesn't sound bad, but it doesn't sound intentional. I don't think that's what she was trying to do in her head. Yeah, I hear what you mean. Like, she either intended, like, she didn't know what she intended. Yeah. She probably just popped the headphones on, went in the booth, blasted a double take, you know? Yeah. Because she can sing, it's just in tune, right? Like, interesting and good catch. So let's go on to the next song on our focus list here, which is the track Into the Light. was my favorite track on the record my note is that i think that this is the sweet spot for her voice there are some songs where she's like 100 percent, 100 percent of the time and this one she kind of gives you a jump and a build she got you she kind of some space to work yeah, yeah yeah she's not at the top of the box the whole time yeah yeah there was something about the drums in the intro like the drum bass interplay in the very beginning of the song where like i i thought that it was like pitched drums or something like there's a couple things and i I noticed this as i sort of like rooted through their all drums are pitched phil yeah good point good point but as i rooted through the catalog like they definitely like to especially the beginning of songs like they like to kick off songs with percussive loops right little pitched things or a little this isn't just on Juju. You'll find it on other records. Like maybe they'll take some, you know, feedback loop. I mean, this is very this is this is art school nonsense. But There's a lot of little percussive, yeah, a lot of sort little of flourishes on here yeah, that yeah, I think totally. are, are super cool. Yeah. yeah, this is definitely like the money track for me. I thought, and what's funny is I've seen this track referenced in relation to the rest of the album as like the the outlier, like the the one song that lets you sort of regroup a little bit. And and because it's it feels a little bit more crappy pun kind of intended. It feels like an, a, a reprieve from like the rest of the darkness of sure, the album. But it's track two. <laughs> like, so like maybe the they're fuck? trying to fake you out a little bit. Yeah, pulling yeah. a ween on you and being like, 
Yeah. It wean's a good comp for that. Yeah. yeah. To me, I think like the riffs in this song are fucking living in my head, rent free. Like the, these are some seriously good riffs on the song. A lot of great guitar touches. This is one of the songs that gave me some of the police like synchronicity vibes. I think that this is my favorite song on the album. It's close. It's going to squeak it out for reasons we'll talk about later on one of the other tracks. But uh, yeah, I mean, the chunky rhythm is really appropriate here. It's and, really cool. Yeah. And I'll, some of the times I felt like some of the songs just felt like they didn't go anywhere because they would build and then sort of fall apart and build and fall apart. This one has like not a linear build, but it, it builds very nicely and it, it's additive the whole time. Yeah. What's really cool about this song is like you can tap your toe to it. It's in 4-4. Four, four. But it really feels like a bar of three and a bar of five. It's a real like one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three. And it's like, and it gives it that chunky turnover. Yeah. Without feeling like it's not music as like Odd Time can often feel like it's not even music. Totally. And again, like props to Budgie. But this doesn't have that at all, right? Props to Budgie. He's, totally. he's holding it down on this. 100%. One. This song though did have what I felt to be probably the most egregious mixing issue on the entire album. So... Again, I'm going to time check here. You got a, a 44 seconds into the song. Uh, they do it multiple times and actually it gets more egregious on. It's like differently. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking times. about. But there's two counter melodies that go in, a, in the pre-chorus. Guitar counter melody. The guitar melody comes in and then a guitar counter melody comes in with a vocal counter melody. And the guitar counter melody that comes in, you can tell it's not being played at the same time. It's played differently. It's a different track. And the first guitar melody is mixed so fucking high. And then the second guitar counter melody with the vocal is mixed so low that it almost just sounds like a mistake. Like it's it, weird. It's not. I, I it's know exactly so what weird. you're talking about. Like, yeah. Standing in the I, I definitely think that what I guess you'd call the chorus to the song yeah. is the chorus. It like it's a cool, it's a very cool and very like intellectual mathematical attempt at sort of these like cycles. But like, yeah, I think the mixing is like, uh, well, it's just a great. It's very aggressive. It's 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 amateur. Is what it is. It's like it's fucking amateur <laughs> hour shit. Okay, so let's take it back to the top. So, Alan, when I called you competent before, like you can see now that that's not a, that's not disrespectful because amateur or incompetent that is disrespectful. Right? Yeah, like, yeah, that's pretty disrespectful. Yeah, if you're intentionally going sub competent, yes, yeah, like competent sounds like you barely made it, but like that's what we're striving for: competence. If I were like, competent in most facets of my life. I'd feel pretty good about shit. Yeah. So we are going to jump to the next song on our focus list, and that is the song Halloween.
when listening to this song was as soon as it started the riffs kicking in i'm thinking like man this song is fucking dope and then the vocals come in and it just like ruins everything for me I don't know. you're talking about the night <laughs> it's like man we're getting somewhere here and then ah oh, damn like i you know i i respect like what she brings to the band and obviously having this super charismatic presence as a front woman is carrying the band in a lot of sense, especially in a live show. But man, that really ruined it for me. Although I, I, but, but in general, I do feel like this is a cool song a little bit on the nose for me though, with like the Halloween thing, like, Oh, we're being spooky. And now we're going to write a song <laughs> yeah. about Halloween. Like that and part say trick a or treat like 20 fucking times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I dug the song I- I- enough. I am going to utter a phrase that has never been heard before on the podcast. I guarantee you. I think the Dave Matthews song is better. Oh, shit. <laughs> the Dave Matthews Halloween is better than this Halloween, and I get it. Like, it's, you know, it's not like they owned the title of Halloween or anything like that, but that just goes to show you how much I didn't really like this song. And it's, frankly, it's all Susie Sue is the reason I don't like this song. The guitar work is fucking great. The drums are great. The bass is great competent you know <laughs> hey there we go that's the word of the day yeah yeah i thought i i don't know I, some of the riffs were good it, it's <sighs> we can i mean we could also just cut and paste that clip on every song alan <laughs> saying i have nothing to add that's just a sound drop at this point point. anything else to say about halloween again the chorus the bit and the sway but no, no I, I, I did think that was actually a catchy chorus, but d- the delivery was a little aggressive. It, it's funny because, like, because like listening to the songs, like, you know, in in real time, I felt I felt you're feeling exactly, Alan, which is like that the her voice is I don't want to call it abrasive. It just comes in really hard and fast, right? And it's it's a lot, and it's it's a lot to get used to, but. As we sort of play them back here, like, and we've just been throttling them for, you know, an hour now. Uh, I've, it's been, really, I've really, been the, the moderating voice. It's really, really? You think so? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's, we're grading on the curve here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, it's really like, like we've been, we've been ripping them pretty hard, but like, if she really is on, you know, as untrained as the, the story goes, like she, she really has a lot of natural skills. She's um, quite good. And yeah. I'll give her also a lot of natural charisma. I yeah. do think she's very charismatic. Yeah, I, there's definitely... Well, look, I mean, you can't become a front person of a band who isn't playing an instrument without having some X factor. Wait, like, wait, wait. Qualms. She's just writhing around up there? Oh, she's writhing. Oh, she's Yeah. She she's, taught herself how to play guitar after like the third album that they put out or something. But like she wasn't that. playing guitar on this, though, was she? She apparently wrote a couple of these songs on guitar. And then, um, like, my cock or whatever his name is like, <laughs> was like, all right, I'm going to take it. I'm going to make it into something actually real. Just, again, it, attitude. Attitude first band. Let's move on. We're, we're going a little long here on Susie and the band. She's like, I appreciate you, dear listeners, for sticking with us here. We're going to go like on to the song Monitor. Mm. 
So when we originally were texting back and forth about this, you know, we put together our list of five songs that's going to be on our focus list. And one of the games that we play with each other is to try to guess the low point. And Alan was like, tell me that, please tell me that this is the low point of the album. And honestly, this was the song that almost was my favorite song. (laughs) I think that honestly, this song sounds really modern. Like, this sounds like modern post-punk to me. There are parts of the song that sound good. So I think the riff... I, I think parts is very fair. Yeah, yeah, like, like this is a classic song where they came up with a riff and just tried to write around the riff, which... You're also describing Heartbreaker, by the way. Oh, no, no. Dude, I'm just... Like, like Phil and I are in a band where, like, I feel like we take pride in writing songs around a riff. You know, this didn't come up... Um, you brought up Heartbreaker. This didn't come up on the Led Zeppelin two episode. You, there's something more that you need to say from that like hour and fifty six minute yes, episode. Yes. I, I, I actually left something out. I just wanted you to check this out next time you next time this palms on the radio. Maybe Jimmy Page stole Heartbreaker from some blues musician, but Michael Jackson definitely stole it back and called it bad. It is the exact same riff. It is identical. <laughs> no. Check it out, dog. It's the same notes. It's the same order. He doesn't swing it quite the same way, but it is fucking identical. It's Michael Jackson, though. Just the riff. Just that the A section of bad is heartbreaker. Look, here, here are the notes I wrote about this song. Well, there there are many other than, you know, I know we rip on this shit a lot, but like, it restarts at like 2.40 for literally no reason. Literally no reason. That's not even like the main note that I wrote. The other notes I wrote were, if you want to know what it sounds like for a song to die, listen at 3.50 to If you want to hear what it sounds like for a song to die twice in one song, listen again at 5.13. It just fucking died. Like, I don't know how else to explain it other than the slow death of of a song. It's like they didn't write an ending and then they did it twice. That's why it did not. It wasn't my favorite song, because if they had just punched an ending three and a half minutes into the song, I would have loved it. I thought it was great. Again, I think it was a cool riff that. They tried to make it into a, into a, a much longer song, but it's and I, I think also this is where, to me, like in the album flow, where it went from like serious tracks to yes. like yes, just art dialing it bullshit. in. No, no, there there is a real problem with the back half of the record here, where like a bunch of these songs are well crafted, you know, pop songs, whatever the paradigm you're trying to get into, whatever, like the sort of call it what you want, right? They're songs. They're well-written by song standards. You know, the back half of the album is just any band just making noise in their basement with a singer screaming over it. Just they're in a studio instead of a basement and the drummer has really good time. That's, (laughs) you know, like that's basically, and the whole, and the whole band is just like with the drummer, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. And and, and we're going to agree on the next track too. I think so. (laughs) I think think the leading indicators are, are... (laughs) I I do want to just bring up here that you, you say any band, any band could have done this, but 
It's 1981. Okay, let me let me take that back. Any band where the best member of the band is the drummer. So let's talk about what were the number one songs in 1981. I hope you say bad. <laughs> you know bad is not 1981. <laughs> it's like 83. We got 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton. Crush. <laughs> I agree. It's a great song. Keep on loving you by REO Speedwagon. You got okay. Oh I love a rainy night by Eddie Rabbit. Like, <laughs> come on, Betty Davis eyes. Like, this is some fucking kind of ridiculous. Betty Davis eyes, by the way, was the number one song on two non-contiguous months. She pulled in fucking uh, Grover Cleveland. And, like, uh, you know, and non-contiguous. Dude, I love the zombie songs that just come back like, yeah. like a month later. Exactly. Zombie <laughs> songs. You got Jesse's Girl. You got Elvira by the Oak Ridge Boys. Like... Physical by Olivia Newton-John, Private Eyes, Daryl Hall, and John Oates, who have never actually gone by Hall and Oates. They always call themselves Daryl Hall and John Oates. Keep, keep going. This is also the year of my birth, and this is this is reinforcing to me that I, I was born in an off year. Air Supplies, The One That You Fuck. Love, Being With You, Smokey Robinson, Morning Train, also 9 to 5, Sheena Easton. Like, Were there, there any good songs that didn't top the charts? You know, the, I mean, I'm sure like Blondie. Blondie's album came out there. Rapture by Blondie was on there. Okay, so anything that's on... Is that Parallel Lines? Is that that record? You know, actually, what else came out this year? Double Fantasy. Mm. Well, Double Fantasy, I think, came out in late 80, but uh, it was it was hitting the yeah, airwaves yeah, sure. in, in 81. Yo, yo no, by the way, you, ever wanna, you really want to promote a record? Get murdered. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, any chump can get murdered. Come on. <laughs> what about faking your death? Is that in the playbook? I mean, I'm not going to help you escape your wife and children, Alan. All right? <laughs> but my point is that like none of those <laughs> well, sound like anything like what we hear on this album. So I will give them props for originality. You know, I don't like goth rock, but they definitely started goth rock as much as they're like, no, we're not goth rock. You're totally fucking goth rock. Get over it. Yeah, right? there's like, definitely th- there is a sound here that for they sure. do well, like it or not. And I do think, like I said, like the I think the the main riff for this song is really good, and this is what kind of gave me like some of those like Tool, Smashing Pumpkins, foreshadowing vibes. But look, I don't want to be like a dead horse and say like, oh, why do they have to start again? But I I just I literally don't get it. I, I don't see any material benefit from taking a song that has run its course and then just not only like restarting it, but going the full distance again. I like the weird phase flangey thing they bring in after the first song ends. You know, it's like the song ends <laughs> and direct one. Yeah, and then they bring in some synth. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they bring in some synth thing that just goes. Wah! It's kind of like a vowel sound on a different instrument. I can't quite track it, but I like it. Yeah, but I guess Tom, this is like these are the aggressive mixing tactics that like i'm not in love with either but you know sometimes i guess you know they have their place like they're they're clearly trying stuff like i'll give that to them they're trying stuff and maybe part of the thing that's the most galling about the fact that when a song just sort of like repeats itself and doubles its length for no reason is like i don't don't even feel like you're trying at that point like why like you it's just a trope yeah come up with cooler stuff man Cool riff, though. I, I want to be on the record for that. Let's dive into the last song that we are going to do on our focus list. It is the last song on the album. It is also the longest song on the album. 
It is Voodoo Dolly. Transfixes you to your feet. And now she's transfixed in your fear. And you know she's gonna stay there. Because her nails are deep in your podcast the more hesitant i become to like shit on somebody's vulnerable artistic output having said that this is fucking garbage <laughs> i feel like i'd be I, I feel like i'm less hesitant to shit on somebody's vulnerable artistic output and for all those out there who are doing their maybe even their own interpretation of the drinking game i'm going to give you a Trademark Tom, this song sucks. This song is fucking terrible. I, I like your insight there, Alan. Like I, I do like that insight that like you don't want to shit on somebody's like uh Yeah. And I think to balance you versus Tom, I'm just not sure this is a song. Yeah, but whatever it is sucks. Yeah, it, it I agree. I don't want to shit on it someone's shit, but like if you're gonna put it out for public consumption and it sounds like this Maybe you deserve it. It's essentially like saying, I went on the street with a voice recorder and I found the methed out paranoid schizophrenic on my block and I sat down with them for 12 hours and I just recorded their ranting. That's not a book. But if I publish it and I bind it and I put it in a fucking bookstore, that's a book. book. And it sucks. <laughs> yes. I, I think you nailed it. <laughs> I've come across this website, as we all, I'm sure, but a website called genius.com that breaks down like song lyrics. Hey, you and, found my website? What's that? You found my website? For the page for this song, there is one comment and one comment only. That comment has one word, and that word is masterpiece. They spelled masturbate wrong because it feels a little self-indulgent, I gotta say. This is like free jazz, basically. This is the punk version of free jazz. And to that end, it is, it's fun to hit record and see what you get. It is fun. I like how you're like, this is the punk version of free jazz. It's like, this is the cancer version of AIDS. Like, like, I don't want anything to do with that. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this will be the last episode. Oh, the mashup you never need. <laughs> yeah, this is this is art school nonsense. This is the most Yoko Ono shit I've ever heard. Like you might as well be standing in the lobby of the MoMA. Uh, but you have a bunch of adoring fans while you're doing it because people love this shit, man. This is one of those ones. It sold 60,000 albums. And here we are 
41, almost 42 years later, and people are saying, you absolutely must hear this. It blew the doors off of it. Convention shattering. Do we agree? Do we disagree? That is what we're going to decide next when we vote on whether or not you need to hear this album before you die. I am throwing it first over to Alan. So I've said this a few times, but along the journey of our podcast that I'm very conflicted. This is probably the most like conflicted I've been on an album. I'm going to say yes, though, which I know is probably somewhat counter to like all the shit we've been talking. But I think back to when we did the Prodigy episode where there's a group that, you know, changed a lot of norms in music that was creating something new that I personally did not like. I still don't like Prodigy, but I voted that as a yes because it was doing something different and it was a group that people have held up their shit as an example of something that changed music. There are a lot of people who feel that this changed music in some way and I don't like it personally, but there is sure shit isn't anything else in their catalog that I'm going to vote for. This is kind of regarded as their best work. And so I think it's top heavy. I do not think it's perfect. I'm not going to listen to it, but I'm going to be a very begrudging. Yes. On this. All right, Alan, we got one vote in the books. Phil, what do you got for me? All right. So I want to kick off my vote with a, like a revision, a correction. And I want to apologize to the Kiss Army, not the Kiss Collective. I believe I referred to Susie as like patient zero of the Kiss Collective or something. Or definitely the Kiss Army. Alan, thank you for everything you said because it makes it so easy for me to give this a, just a flagrant no. <laughs> I agree with you completely. And if you had said no, I'll take, the, I'll take the arrows. Yeah, yeah. And if you had said no, I might have said everything you said. But since you said yes, I'm going to say no. You can totally skip this. This is nonsense. Susie's pretty good, like, but like it wears thin. Uh, Budgie, Budgie can definitely play drums the guitar sounds are interesting and definitely cutting edge the bass player can definitely play bass and holds the band down and uh, you can totally skip this can i change my you've convinced me actually it's the first time i've been convinced you know it's funny alan you mentioned how like pete mcgock pete mcgock <laughs> uh, john mcgock john mcgock. mcgock sorry john mcgock was like the reason why this album was going to make the list and you wouldn't vote any of the other stuff. Well, he only stuck around for one more album. Then he quit the band again and was interestingly replaced by Robert Smith of the cure again for that. Oh, album. And I hate that guy. Really? I fucking yeah, love the I cure. Like, uh, I actually really like the cure a lot. I don't like the cure. I don't like him. I think he's kind of douchey, but anyway, Alan hates him. I love him. I think he's great. I, I think hate, the cure are great. Uh, hate and the fact that Alan hates emotion. the cure is making me be really fucking pissed at myself for having to agree with him that I actually think that you need to listen to this oh, album before you die. He'll turn. Listen, I don't like the Smiths. I think that that is public record at this point. But the Smiths are very influential and like Susie and the Banshees definitely are the reason that there is the Smiths. Like they Boosh. very much were influenced by the sound of this album and certainly the sound of Susie's voice, certainly the sound of John McGock on uh, guitar and Budgie on drums. You know, I, I think that Phil, you said that if you don't like the Smiths, you're basically saying you don't like indie rock. And did I think, I say, did I say that? Yeah. Something to that effect. Okay. I may be paraphrasing you in an unflattering way, which I have a habit of doing, but 
I I kind of think that if you don't like Susie and the Banshees, you have to kind of say I don't like indie rock. I don't like DIY indie rock. And I do like a lot of DIY indie rock. I don't particularly want to listen to this album again. I'm glad I listened to it, though. Tom, before you before you close out, uh, you, you make an interesting comment that I haven't made, which is like if I was in a dive bar and somebody was playing these songs, I'd be like, this band crushes. It's funny that you mentioned that. One of my notes was, and I feel like I say this a lot about bands like this, but it sounds like a lot of just mediocre bar rock that I've heard over the years, just through like playing shows at local yeah. places. I've heard a lot of bands that sound like this. it has that sound. Yes. Sure. And I agree. If I saw some like local band or heard, you know, a group doing this, I'd be like, this, this is like pretty. Heavy. Yeah. But they were the first people to have that sound, right? Like they yeah, were, yeah. they were the people who developed that sound. It's that shit that we talk about with like, we talked about it on Led Zeppelin too. Some of this shit seems old hat. Like it seems old hat because everybody's been doing it since then. And that's why it doesn't have the same kind of impact on you as if you were in 1981 and fucking Endless Love had had like a nine week run as the number one song on the charts. And you're hearing this shit for the first time. It would it would reorient me in a way that I was like, oh, damn, there's more possibilities. than I thought there were I know music. somebody who for myriad reasons didn't see Seinfeld at all. Until about 2011. Did they wear a swastika band on their arm? <laughs> not, not to my knowledge. <laughs> They're like, every problem in this show could have been solved with a cell phone. But they definitely, they definitely. Or a different solution. Their comment on Seinfeld, and, and I think it's sort of what you're saying, Tom, was like, I see why this is funny, but this isn't funny to me because I've seen all these jokes second, third hand. Like, yeah. Yeah. like I understand that this is the origin but I don't find this funny given yeah. the, the downstream You've stuff. You've seen five extrapolations deep <laughs> yeah, exactly. on it. And well, it's been like perfected it. upon. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Like there's been years to, to like better up. Yes. Dear listeners, we're going to move on to the, uh, the end of the show here. But I just want to tell you that Phil and Al and I are going to sit in this hotel room and turn the recorder off and then talk shit on music for about the next two hours. Like, that's just what we're going to do. It's what we do. We're fucking weirdos. Might get a Manhattan. That's what we love to do. I might get another Manhattan. They were really good, actually. I'll drink my 10th beer of the night. Alan's going to drink his 10th <laughs> beer of the night. All that is left for us to do after putting Juju by Susie and the Banshees on the list, official stamp, official recommendation. Now we have to get our homework assignment for next week. I have the Albinator, the travel version of the Albinator. It's actually an app on my phone. It's the Appinator. Not nearly as effective or cool. I like the mechanical version of it. It spins around. Now. It's going to cool. be an obvious drop of a wheel spinning sound and not a wheel, real wheel spinning. And that's what, you know, that's what you're going to be subjected to here, people. So without any further ado, drum roll, please. We will be listening to. All right. We will be listening to Frank Sinatra in the wee small hours of Whoa. the morning. Yet another complete lack of control just wishy-washy does whatever he wants kind of vocalist definitely a huge band full of non-professionals oh my god yeah like nobody knows how to play the viola and the violin and the yeah. fucking multiple horns that are on Need this a oh, sousaphone for this yeah. like any motherfucker off the street oh, this, this is like taking it back this must be like one of the earlier yeah, on I, the list I, I don't know i don't know this at all i kind of i'm feeling like i'm feeling a little intimidated this is like, even. like early 50s, 50s early, probably the I mean, early 50s i might go buy guess. this one and like you know, listen to it on vinyl you know, we small hours in the morning. Not off the top of my head. No. Maybe the, the I song. 
Maybe I maybe I'll it's know. It's the time it. I miss you most of all. Not Reagan. I had a thing where I would <laughs> go good. to. That's good. Yeah, I would go to estate sales for the longest time, and I cannot tell you how many fucking Frank Sinatra albums I bought for like ten for a dollar, mint condition. Probably like is that, is that a sign of what we're in for? No, it's just more that like you know that's what eighty-seven-year-olds had in their record collection when they died, and their fucking ungrateful kids were like, "Clear this shit out so I can sell this house." Fuck this, goddamn! Can you throw in some purple hearts with that you carefully like, curated record collection? Yeah, <laughs> fuck that. Uh, so uh, you know what? I am excited for that. I think that's going to be a fantastic album. Yeah, this will be this will be a little bit of a departure. It will be a swing from this past album, and frankly, from someone who can't sing. To someone who can sing. can't not sing very different from snake Fra- from snake very different from frank sinatra though Stank sinatra. Stank sinatra. okay it reminds me so of that by the way let's start a new let's start a new project it is a kind of sleaze rock band that is all reimagining a frank sinatra song so probably so stank sinatra <laughs> yeah yeah you're gonna be awesome the rap bridges are gonna be so dope oh, yeah. you know you oh, know because yeah. you gotta rap every bridge yeah right? rap every bridge of course yeah life is a beautiful thing yeah i'm, I'm like yeah <laughs> as long as i hold the string yeah motherfucker <laughs> I imagine this is why you come to 1001 Album Complaints, dear listeners, for the variety and for the hot takes. Uh, But if you have a differing opinion, if you think that maybe we got it wrong on Susie and the Banshees, maybe we got it right, maybe you're still stewing over that fun-loving criminals diss that we had, write us at 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. 1001albumcomplaints at gmail.com. We always love to hear from you. We will read every single email that we get, and sometimes we even read them on the air. We would love to hear from you. Tell us how we can improve. Tell us what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong. Get ready to... Hear a deep dive and dissection of Frank Sinatra's in the wee small hours of the morning. And until then, for 1001 Album Complaints, I have been Tom. I'm Alan. I'm Phil. Boosh! Nice.